Welcome to Mazum Gumzo, African Scholarly Conversations, a podcast that highlights the perspectives of various stakeholders in academia and research fields across Africa through open dialogue on Mazum Gumzo on scholarly communication in Africa. Today's episode features an engaging session on the state of open access in Africa by Ms. Elizabeth Marincola of AAS Open Research, Dr. Osman Aldildiri of Africa Archive, and Mr. Matt Hodgkinson of Hindawi Publishers. Welcome, everyone. We will begin the webinar. And what we are going to focus on is the state of open access in Africa. Okay, and its implication on researchers. As whether you're an early career researcher or a mature researcher, visibility of your work is extremely important. And one of the challenges is that due to limited access to, to literature, most of us tend to, to have limitations on the kind of research output we are going to we end up producing. As such, open access has become uh, there's a demand for open access in, uh, in higher education. So what does this mean and how does it affect you? So what we are going to take you through is first of all, the state of open access in the continent, number one, and then number two, what is available within the continent to support early career researchers. So before we get into the whole crux of the matter, I am Joy Owango, the executive director of the Training Center in Communication. This is a center based in Nairobi, Kenya, in partnership with the University of Nairobi. And what we do is support early career researchers, mature researchers, and even governments on how they can improve their research output and increase their research visibility. So before we get into the whole uh, webinar itself, as I'd mentioned, number one, we are, we, are uh, we are streaming this webinar live. So you'll be able to, you can either ask questions online on, on Facebook Live or also within the chat. So as we are going through the webinar, I'm just taking you through the Zoom features. Please ask all your questions through the question and answer session uh, uh, icon within the, the Zoom features. With all of you have received a survey in regards to open access. So please take the time also to fill it and send it to us so that we can also help you even beyond the, the webinar. So there's a digital disruption in the higher education sector. And that is what is happening is because there's a rise and demand for open access. Okay, so what does this mean? It means that uh, with the demand of open access, there's, there's a need to return scholarly publication, uh, publishing to its original purpose, which, is, which means spreading knowledge and allowing it to be freely accessible. So there's a huge demand for that. And the people who definitely benefit from this are researchers in the global south because paywalls are so expensive and very people are, are able to, to have access to publications that are on paywalls. So the whole open access movement is all, is all about breaking down those paywalls so that you can have access to publication. And basically it is breaking down the paywall so that you can have open science. So what are the trends globally? So, um, in 2018, Plan S was launched. To be specific, uh, in September 2018, Plan S was launched. So what Plan S, how Plan S was created was that um, a coalition of international consortia of funders called, known as Coalition S uh, came together and they stated that by 2021, scientific publications that result from research funded by public grants must be published in open access journals 
all platforms. So as you can see, there's a demand that research needs to be available to the public, especially if it is funded by, uh, by uh, public funding. So let's narrow it down to the continent. So we looked at literally all 54 countries. And in the last two years, between 2018 to date, how many publications have they produced? So looking at the citation, open access citation database known as Dimensions Data, we went through literally all these 54 countries and we noted that over 279,432 publications have been produced in the last two years since when Plan S was launched. And out of those, 124,530 are open access. This is as of two days ago. So this database updates information uh, real time. And so that means that 44% of, uh, of African publications are, are, pub are open access, which is a good trend. And this needs to also increase. And the research area which has the highest number of publications is obviously medical and health research with over 55,000 publications. This is just in the last two years, okay? And uh, visual arts and crafts has more than 11 publications. So we need to understand that African research contributes 2.6, uh, Africans produce 2.6 of the research and publication output globally uh, as their contribution to, to, to global research. So these numbers might look small, but if you look at if you look at it just from within a continental perspective, we are really doing well, but more needs to be done to improve our research output and most importantly, produce um, uh, research output in open access platforms. And this is why we are here to share with you what African partners are there to help you increase your visibility of your research output through publishing in open access platforms. Now, who are the top funders? Who are the top funders giving, providing, um, who are the top funders supporting open access research in Africa? So we have the Euro European Commission and the numbers you're seeing on the right, those are the papers that came out of the open, uh, the open access papers that came out of that funding on the research in the continent. Remember, this is all cumulative. So we did, we all went to all the countries and we went to all the countries and this is, this data is cumulative. So uh, we have the, well, uh, what do you call it? We have the European Commission with 3,000, 3,007 publications, the Wellcome Trust with 2,466. So these are the top 13 and the top 12th and the, the 13th donor, which is an African donor from the South African Medical Research Council produced 952 publications that were open access. So also from, a, from an African perspective, it means that as much as we have granting councils in the continent, we need to start demanding that within the granting councils that they need to advocate for publishing in open access uh, platforms and also open access journals. So this is just an overview. If you need information per country, we can share that. But the reason why I'm giving you this overview is to share with you what these other partners, our partners on the ground are able to help. So, and that is now where we come in as a center because as a center, as I'd mentioned, we help research scientists uh, increase their research output through training on scholarly and science communication. And these are some of the, the courses that we take them through. Because at the end of the day, by the time this research, a researcher has gone through the whole research discovery process to writing his paper, his biggest nightmare would be publishing. And 
having access to open access platforms is extremely important in improving the research visibility of, the, of this early career researcher, or even mature researcher. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Ms. Elizabeth Marincola, and I'd like to do a proper introduction of who she is. So Ms. Elizabeth Marincola is, Ms. Elizabeth Marincola is, is in charge of, is the senior advisor of the Africa Academy of Sciences and is responsible for AAS Open Research, the Academy's publishing platform. She was previously the CEO of the large open access publisher PLOS and currently serves as the ambassador for the EU's Plan S, which I've just talked to you about. So she could actually give us more information on what they are doing, what she's doing with Plan S as well. And she's an MBA graduate from Stanford University. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for making time to join us. I am going to make you the host, then you can share your screen and take us through what the Africa Academy of Sciences Open Research Platform is doing for early career researchers and mature researchers on the continent. So I have made you the host and we look forward to listening to you. You're now the host. Thank you very much, Joy. Uh, here we go. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Hello, everybody. Thank you for the nice introduction. Uh, Joy, and I just want to say I've seen the chat come in and uh, see all the places that the participants are from. It's really an honor to be with uh, you here today. Um, I am at the African Academy of Sciences, which is based in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. You see it there uh, and have been involved in the open access movement and the capacities that Joy has described uh, for most of my career. I'll give you a brief overview of the AAS. Uh, we exist uh, with uh, several major goals. One is to build uh, the research leadership and environment in Africa. We do this by uh, providing grants around the continent. Uh, we uh, support and recognize leading research and researchers uh, in Africa and honor them as fellows. We give special attention to uh, uh, developing career researchers who, uh, who require training and support. And we seek to fill critical gaps in the research landscape, uh, a central one being the publishing landscape. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about. Uh, three years ago now, uh, the uh, African Academy of Sciences uh, launched AS Open Research. Uh, it's here to address the existing problems globally in traditional science publishing, which are familiar to uh, most of you, I would imagine, in the sciences that exist everywhere in the world, but are uh, particularly acute and uh, impactful in the global South. We have public sources paying for research multiple times. It takes a very long time to get your science out. There's limited access to data, wasted intellectual contributions, uh, bias resulting uh, from uh, lack of transparency, 
and uh, and uh, work is uh, static and not transparent. So there are multiple uh, problems that any researcher quickly uh, comes across in their work. We uh, launched AS Open Research in 20, early 2018 uh, to address these issues. Uh, and we have based it uh, on the, the principles of integrity, reproducibility, uh, transparency, and openness in uh, all of its forms. Uh, now, how does AS Open Research uh, work? Sorry, let me get the screen out of here. Um, there we go. Uh, first of all, we take a broad range of uh, inputs, not just the traditional research article, although most of what we publish are traditional research articles, but we invite any valid uh, scientific output, including data notes, software tools, methods, reviews, case studies, etc. anything that can be properly peer reviewed. Uh, then the first innovation is after an integrity check to make sure that it's valid science and the data that, uh, that supports the conclusions in the work is also made available and accessible. The article is published and this addresses the speed issue. At that point, the peer review process starts and uh, usage message, uh, metrics are made available uh, as things go along. The peer review process proceeds as it would in traditional publishing, but in the meantime, you have your article published, you have a DOI, and uh, you can uh, uh, begin to share your work. Uh, uh, at that point, it appears online and you can always see uh, the version where you are and what the peer reviewers have said about your work, whether they uh, have approved it, approved it with reservations or not approved it. Uh, once the work receives two approvals or two conditional approvals and an unconditional approval, uh, it is indexed and is deemed to have passed peer review. Uh, upon being indexed, it, uh, it is accessible in all the major global indices from PubMed to Scopus, etc. cetera. Uh, this is very important uh, because unless your work is uh, uh, searchable, findable, accessible in this way, it has limited visibility. And this is one of the goals of the AAS as well as Plan uh, S. Uh, to distinguish AAS Open Research and other entirely open research platforms from other options, we have this simple uh, chart that shows you that we attempt to address not just accessibility by eliminating the uh, subscription barriers, but uh, other issues. This is a peer-reviewed platform. We don't see, say, journal because it provides immediate publication, but it is not just a preprint server either because it provides the service of peer review and indexing. So you can see how it's distinguished 
from other open sites and experiments that are available to researchers. At this time, this platform is only available to AAS affiliated researchers. If you directly or indirectly get research funding through an AAS source, if you're supported by one of the AAS uh, early career researcher uh, programs, if you're a fellow of the AAS or if you're affiliate of the AAS, which uh, early career researchers are qualified to do, you can publish on AAS open research. Um, there are, as everyone knows, advances in uh, scholarly communication globally, and it will particularly accelerate uh, sciences in uh, Africa. <clears throat> uh, I project that open access in uh, several years will come to dominate the landscape. We already know that articles published in an open access environment are, are more viewed and shared than those that are published in closed accent, uh, access environments. Um, I believe that license agreements will default to CC BY. Uh, transparent review will become more common. Community participation through commenting and transparency. We will, um, as an industry, be inviting more varied research objects as the AAS uh, open research is doing now. It's very important that we give credit for constructive contribution beyond authorship, most prominently peer review, uh, <clears throat> but also commenting, offer article level metrics uh, to be able to trend away from impact factors, which have had a damaging and counterproductive uh, effect on uh, people's uh, publishing uh, choices output should be dynamic and, con uh, and uh, continuous. Uh, and there will be, in my view, a lot of consolidation. Many of the mid-level journals uh, that are closed access will fall away and we will develop some strong uh, open digital platforms such as AAS Open Research to complement uh, the few surviving legacy journals that exist. Uh, thank you very much. I hope uh, any of you will reach out to me uh, as you wish privately. I'd be happy to engage you and good luck with your continued work. Thank you so much, uh, Elizabeth. Um, as you can see, everyone else, there, is, there are support systems that exist in the continent to help you publish, use, uh, to help you use open access platforms to publish your research. So gone are the days where you'd struggle and try and figure out where you'd start uh, the, your, publishing, your, 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 your publishing process once you've written your manuscript. Another open access platform that is supporting African research, that, uh, that is supporting African research in the academic publishing process is Africa Archive. And um, the person I'm going to introduce uh, will, will, from Sudan is Dr. Osman Aldirdiri. And Osman is a medical researcher and entrepreneur and an advocate for openness in research, data, and education. He's interested in building an open research culture in Africa with a firm belief in diversity and inclusion. And open, uh, Osman is the founder of Open Sudan, a national of, uh, open access advocacy initiative, and he's also on the executive committee of Spark Africa and on the board of Force 11. 
which is an international coalition of researchers, librarians, publishers, and research fund funders working to, for to reform or enhance the research public publishing and communication system. And he also sits on the steering committee of Open Science MOOC and is an advisor for uh, Open Knowledge Maps. So Osman is going to take us through another platform known as Africa Archive that supports African researchers on how they can go through the academic publishing process still with the support of the open access uh, systems that have been set in place. So Osman, I am going to make you, uh, Elizabeth, kindly make me the host so that I can, so Osman, I'm going to make you the host. Then you may, you may share your screen and tell us, take us through what Africa Archive does and how it can support uh, researchers in, uh, in, be, in uh, publishing through the open access platform. So highlight on TCC Africa, Elizabeth, and you'll see more. Fantastic, thank you so much. So Osman, you're next, I'm making you the, the host. Then you may take us through the- Thank you very much, Tommy, for the introduction. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Um, so thank you very much, Joy, for the introduction again. And I will speak today about Africa Archive being a way to address the state of open access in Africa and its implications on researchers. Uh, over the course of four years, between 2012 and 2016, Africa has proven to be by far the region with the strongest growing scientific production. We saw a 43% increase in numbers of authors, and that is 10% higher than the next fastest growing author population in the world. That means that we're seeing incredibly, incredibly increasing large numbers of authors and papers than we used to see in the past. And with that expansion, many more entities came to life that support African researchers. And hence, it became important for us to educate researchers, especially in Africa, about the different opportunities available for them. The, the two speakers, Elizabeth, Matt, and I, will be addressing some of these services available for African speakers, for African researchers. And since we have some early career researchers in the audience today, allow me to start with a very basic understanding of the research publication landscape, which most of us know already. And that is, once your research is done, you move to publishing that work. And there you get to choose whether to publish in a paid world journal or to publish in an open access journal. Those who would like, those who would like to publish in paid world journals readers have to pay in order to read such uh, work or such research. And if you choose to publish in an open access journal, readers can freely access your research and read it without payment. And since I get asked about this a lot, it's important to mention upfront that if you publish in an open access journal, you make knowledge more accessible so that everyone can read and everyone can access your work. But if you publish in a paywall journal, you are not getting any sort of money and at the same time, readers must pay in order to read your research. And by choosing to publish in an open access journal, as I said before, you, you basically help make knowledge more accessible to everyone. And that is just the simple picture. And choosing to publish in an open access journal is one way to make knowledge more accessible. But there are also many tools that help make uh, research and help make knowledge more accessible to other people. And that is preprint repositories. Preprint repositories may include uh, 
Africa Archive, Archive, and others that would help you publish your work openly and available for everyone. Today, I'm going to speak about one of these preprint repositories. It is Africa Archive, which is designed for African researchers. And I will speak about its special features and benefits in the next few slides. Uh, but for those who are not familiar with what preprint repositories are, a preprint repository is basically a free accessible online digital archive, which enables you to post an early version of your research paper online. Or in other simple words, it's an online server you can use for free to put your work, research work online. It is for you, free for you to use and put your research paper online. It is for you free also for viewers to access and read that paper. You can post your paper as a preprint or as a postprint. But in order to know the difference between what a preprint or a postprint is, uh, first of all, you need to know how research publication works. So here is a brief explanation. When you finish your work and you want to publish it, you submit it to a research journal. This could be a paid well journal or an open access journal. And here, most journals send your research, send your research article for other scientists to review. And, th and this process is called peer review. Peer review is used by journals for quality control. And after that paper undergoes Peer reviewing, it goes for typesetting and formatting, so it becomes in a shape that fit for publication in that journal. So going back to preprints and postprints, a preprint is basically any version of your research that goes online before undergoing peer review. And a postprint is that any version of your research that goes online after peer review, but before it is typesetted and formatted. So it is not the exact paper that will be published in a journal, not in an exact format, but it is the exact form, but it is the exact text. Uh, preprints and postprints both have digital objective identifiers, DOIs, as Elizabeth mentioned in, uh, in, in her slides. And these make your paper visible and citable for viewers and other researchers as well. But it is very important not to confuse publishing in preprint repositories with journal publishing. The two are different, but we usually advise publishing in both because each one brings its own benefits. Most of the journals will allow you to publish with them even if you publish a preprint version of your research before, but not all of them. So a really good tool to help you navigate this, this database is called Sherpa Romeo. Sherpa Romeo classifies journals from blue, green, yellow, and white. And it gives you a brief about which journal allows you to publish a preprint, which journal allows you to publish postprints. So it is a so it's a very interesting database to use. And the open nature, the open nature and design of preprint repositories bring many benefits to the researchers when they publish their papers as preprints or as postprints. And these benefits include uh, visibility, for example, in case you're going to publish your work in a paperable journal. Having a preprint version that is freely available for viewers to read will increase the visibility of your research because it makes everyone, because it has uh, an accessibility and allows everyone to access and read your paper. The second benefit is the quick release. Preprint repositories are designed in a way that, you're, that when you submit your work, it will be online available in a very short time, like within a week, for example. While when you submit a journal, 
while when you submit a journal. I think my screen, sorry, sharing screen is just stopped. Well, when you submit in a journal, sometimes it takes up to six months for that work to be available. And that is a long time. The third one, the third benefit is feedback. For example, I'm working on my research, but at the same time, I would like to publish a draft or a first version for other people to read, for other people to give their comments. So here I will be sending a first version as a preprint of my work, which allows other people to see it and give me feedback, especially in areas where where people working in COVID-19, where people working in, in HIV or in, in diseases like cancers and others. Uh, for, for example, sometimes it is needed to publish the first version where people can give you feedback so you can publish the final version in other journals later on. But the more benefits Africa Archive can bring to you is that it allows for multiple publication formats. For example, you can publish a research paper, you can publish a project proposal, you can publish slides, for example, like this slides I'm using right now, or you can publish uh, data set uh, formats and, and many more. So it is not just research papers, it's just like journals. The second one is it brings the language barrier, bridge the language barrier. Many African, uh, many African readers may not, be very uh, may, may not be very fluent with English, French, or Spanish, and these are the major languages where research is being published with. So with Africa Archive, we provide very simple translation. So if you publish your work somewhere in Africa Archive, it will be translated into local African languages. The third thing is that we promote the use of African languages in research. If you publish your research in a local African language, you can, be, you can, you can come and you can publish it in Africa Archive easily. Third benefit is that we build collaborations. In Africa Archive, we started a, a project about COVID-19 where we bring scientists to work together and change uh, the, the way Africa responds for COVID-19, for example. It increased African research visibility. It is believed that Africa contributes less than 1% of the international research outcome, the international research output. And many people think that these data is not truly accurate because many of the African, many of the African papers are not, cannot be easily tracked or cannot be easily traced to later on be addressed as an African research. So the percentage of one, the percentage of 1% is less. So by publishing your work as a preprint or a postprint in Africa Archive, for example, you allow the world to see that this is an African research comment. Uh, the last one is that Africa Archive is designed and built for African researchers. So we always, we always change and, and allow African researchers to access. Uh, Africa Archive uses four formats for uh, repositories. OSF, Zenodo, Popup, and Science Open. And if you would like to publish your work in Africa Archive, for example, you have to choose between one of these four. You can access these slides, click at any of them, and it will take you to, to the website. Let me show you how, how it appears. So clicking at any of these four icons brings you to the website. You will find information on how to submit, but most importantly, you will find this 
which is a table that brings the, uh, the differences between sci open science framework, pop-up, science open, and Zenodo. You can look at this table and choose between which one you would like to submit your work. You can also look here at the top. Here are the different languages we translate the work in, in Africa Archive. So for example, you can publish in Arabic, you can publish in Afrikaans, and also if you publish in English, we will be able to translate it to Afrikaans, to Dutch, and to many other local languages as well. So simply click at any of these icons and it will bring you to the website. That is mainly about Africa, Africa Archive, and we look forward to hearing your questions on how we can better support you. Okay. Thank you so much, Osman. Um, uh, kindly make me the host. So in a nutshell, what Africa Archive can do and also what African, the AAS Research Open Platform can do is that you can submit your manuscript. Okay, as you're, as you're going through your whole, the whole process of identifying the journals that you intend to publish in, these are platforms you can submit your manuscript and the world will start seeing, will start seeing the, will start seeing your work. And that is what is important because as researchers, remember you are responsible for your own visibility. And here are platforms that are going to start enhancing your visibility. So, and we are all aware that when you're identifying uh, journals, you, it can take quite <clears throat> some time, even from when you've identified a, identified a particular journal and you're looking, going through the submission to acceptance process. So the, I, the fact that we have Africa Archive and AAS Research um, open, it means that people will start seeing your manuscript, okay? People will start seeing your manuscript and start seeing your work as you're going through the process of identifying journals. So this is one of the ways in increasing the visibility of researchers. Now, the next person we are going to talk to, who's going to, uh, who's going to take us, uh, the, next, the next speaker is Matt uh, Hodging. Hmm. Matt, I need to get that correct. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Matt Hodgkinson, got it right. So the next speaker is Matt Hodgkinson. And the interesting thing is where Matt works. Matt works for the oldest open access publishing house, African publishing house, Hindawi Publishers. Hindawi Publishers is originally from Egypt, even though they moved two years ago to the UK, it is still owned by Egyptians. So by as in essence, it is an African publishing house, which is open access. And they've been in business since the nineties. So Matt is going to take us through what um, Hindawi Publishers does and how they are supporting open, uh, being also an open access flat, uh, publishing house and how they're supporting early career researchers and particularly African researchers. So for more about Matt, Matt is the head of research integrity at Hindawi Publishers, which as I'd mentioned earlier on is an open, open access journal publisher. It is the oldest op open access publishing house in Africa, which started in the nineties. And now they just moved about two years ago to, to the UK and, they and he oversees the publication ethics and processes and policies. So he's the, he's the kind of person you really want to have on your side because he has access to all these open access journals. And he recently joined the Council for 
COP, which is the Committee of Publication and Ethics, and he's an author aid mentor. And he's, he was previously an editor with Biomedical Central and PLOS as well. So Matt, please take us through how, uh, take us through um, what Hindawi Publishers does and how it is supporting early career researchers in Sub-Saharan Africa, bearing in mind you are an open access publishing house. Thanks, Joy, and um, thank you for the invitation to speak. I'll just find my slides. Okay, so yeah, I'm Matt Hodgkinson. I'm Head of Research Integrity at Hindawi. Um, so I've been involved in um, open access publishing since um, 2003 when I joined um, BMC in London, and then I um, uh, moved to PLOS as an editor where I worked with uh, Elizabeth and then since 2016 I've um, been focused on uh, publication ethics uh, um, at Hindawi. Um, so uh, ah, there's just a delay on my slides there. Okay so um, Hindawi was founded um, originally in 1997 so Ahmed Hindawi um, is an uh, Egyptian um, physics researcher or he was originally and um, he moved um, back from um, the US and founded um, uh, what was originally called Ele Electronic Publishing House with his uh, wife Nagwa, um, originally run from uh, his, his house. And then he moved um, to the Nasser Free Zone in 2001 and renamed it um, Hindawi Publishing. It's a very interesting time to be beginning uh, a publisher because it was um, around about the time that um, uh, BMC was founded and um, PLOS was launching a uh, petition about open access and they later became a publisher. Um, so Ahmed was very aware of open access and um, Paul Peters, who um, is now our um, CEO, was um, tasked with um, looking into open access and by 2007 they'd reached the decision that this was where Hindawi needed to go and moved from the subscription model, which is the traditional way of publishing, where readers or libraries subscribed to journals and moved all of our journals across to entirely open access, um, which was the, the first, first publisher ever to do that. I think possibly the only publisher ever to do that. In 2008, we were found a member of the Open Access Scholarly Publishers Association. I was at that meeting. Um, and then in 2015-16, we um, opened the office in London to help with um, uh, publishing capacity. And in 2017, the decision was made to move the, um, the HQ to, to London. So we've moved away from um, the Cairo office, but we um, still have um, Ahmed as uh, one of the, uh, the owners and directors of the company. And so we're now the largest independent OA publisher by number of journals. So briefly on what um, open access is, essentially it's, um, so all the content is free to read there's no barriers to reading or reuse than being online. It was first defined in 2002, although it came from a free access movement and it was similar to the um, free software movement in the 90s. Um, Archive had been founded in um, the early 90s, so it came out of that, that movement. And we and most other open access publishers use the Creative Commons attribution license. There's other um, CC licenses as well. Um, Wikipedia uses the share alike license so that you have 
have to use the same or an equivalent license if you're going to reproduce their content. Um, others use the NC or non-commercial license to not allow commercial reuse. Uh, and there's also ND or no derivatives, which um, means that you can't do things like translation without permission. But with our license, the CC BY license, the main requirement is that you attribute the source so you say where it came from. So it's really very um, liberal in what you're allowed to do. So some issues around open access. So um, as was already indicated by the other speakers, um, there's evidence that you get more readers, which is quite obvious. If there's no barriers online, then you can anyone in the world can, can read that article and share it and download it. Um, there's also evidence that you can get more citations because um, more researchers around the world who are in um, resource limited um, situations can read and cite that work because you're not supposed to cite anything that you haven't read in full. Um, you don't need any permission to reuse the content, which is really useful. It means you can reuse your figures without having to go begging to the publisher where you publish them. You can publish translations, which is very useful for um, countries where there's multiple languages and maybe not majority Anglophone countries. And it can be reused in all sorts of settings like in um, text mining and data mining. Um, so with the funding of open access, the normal traditional way of publishing um, was to publish and then require subscriptions from uh, readers uh, or libraries. And so open access turned that on its head so that there are no subscriptions. Um, there are some subscriptions for paper copies in some cases, but all the online content is um, available for free. And so most publishing is done um, so it is going to have costs and so the costs need to be covered from somewhere and so um, it was originally Biomed Central who came up with what's called the article processing charge so that there's a, um, a fixed cost for each accepted article so you don't usually pay if you haven't been um, accepted but for the accepted articles then there's a uh, payment and um, this makes sense with many research fields because it scales with the amount of research done so that the funders are putting money into the research and then they will also put aside a small proportion of that to pay for the um, publication of the articles that come out of that grant and so the APC is normally paid for by the library or the institution or the funding body of the researcher. Um, there's other models of funding which include subsidies, so there's the Open Library of Humanities, the humanities have much less funding than um, say physics or biomedicine, and they have a consortium of libraries that um, help fund um, the, uh, that publisher, and there's also Cielo in Latin America is government funded, so there are different ways that you can um, have the, the funding model. Um, but so regardless of the funding model, there's a big division in OA and Osman went into this a little bit, which is um, gold and green. So gold is what Hindawi does. So we have, um, so it's where the article is published under an open license in an open access journal. Um, and so it can also be hosted on preprint servers and in PubMed Central and elsewhere. But the main um, uh, place that it's um, published is an open access journal. And then there's green is also called self-archiving, and this is where you publish in a traditional um, uh, traditional journal, so it's normally subscription, but in this case the journal allows you to post onto a um, uh, maybe a preprint server or a platform like PMC, which is a subject centralized one or an institutional repository. 
and so it won't be formatted the same way and there may be some restrictions on reuse and not all journals allow that so the Sherpa Romeo site and journal um, websites are essential to look at before you do that. There's another issue in open access publishing which is called predatory publishing it's an unfortunate name some people have criticized it but the name is unfortunately stuck and this is where some journals have um, they're not really journals they're scammers they've taken advantage of open access publishing and they present themselves as a publisher but they don't really do peer review um, they spam people and they do things like refuse to retract and dem demand money if you want to withdraw your article so essentially these are, are scammers and you need to be very careful about which um, journals you're um, you're submitting to 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 check that they're legitimate so our journals we've got 200 and 20 journals they're all peer reviewed by and the process is run by academic editors um, we previously had flat boards so that all of the um, academic editors have the same responsibility they would handle the article through peer review that they were assigned as of last year a quarter of ours have chief editors um, i've listed there the um, 10 largest journals um, by publication volume of last year um, 15 of the 220 journals um, are published in collaboration with wiley um, this started in 2016. These were um, so like how we flipped our own journals from subscription to OA. We've done this with um, 15 Wiley journals. So those were tradi uh, traditional publishing and now they we flipped them over to OA and they're doing better now than they were under traditional publishing. We also um, have a collaboration with AAAS where we do some of the um, production and hosting. And then our new publishing platform that I'll mention later is also for a geoscience world. So many of our article uh, our journals are indexed in web of science and in scopus most of the biomedical ones are um, indexed in pmc as well so you can see the full text there but a note of caution we've signed up to the declaration on research assessment which says not to use journal-based metrics to assess individual researchers so it's just a warning about using the impact factor um, taking it too far um, so we help researchers in some ways. So I mentioned earlier about APC. So those are waived automatically if all of the authors are from lower income countries that we've defined. So it's on the link at the bottom of the slide is the full policy, but there's a map to indicate it. So you can see that a large swathe of um, sub-Saharan Africa is included in those automatic waivers. It's also all COVID-19 articles are having waivers as well. And then you can apply for a waiver as well. Uh, for a partial waiver. I've got nothing to do with that side of things. We've separated the financial side from the kind of editorial and publishing side of things. Um, we've got some partnerships so that Rightful is a, um, a kind of AI app that helps um, check your um, grammar and spelling. We've got um, a link with Editage where you can get 10% discount and there's another link with um, PeerWith so authors who are publishing through us can go to those websites and get help with um, language public, uh, language editing. And we've got user-friendly publishing, or we, we hope we do, so that there's no need to reformat for submission, which is a great pain point for many researchers. We've got a new open source system that we've developed with um, a group called COCO and with eLife, who are another open access publisher, so that's called Phenom, and we're rolling that out this year. And we're friendly, uh, we're preprint friendly, so you can publish in preprint servers. And we've got a collaboration with Chem Archive of this, as of this year, and we're talking to other other preprint servers to make that seamless and we also have a collaboration with on data sharing so we recommend data sharing although we don't yet require it and we have a um a link up with dryad who are a, a repository um so there's just some contact details and i think we're going to take uh, questions now
Okay, thank you so much, Matt. Um, uh, kindly make me the host. Sure. And thank you so much for your presentation. So Osman and Elizabeth, now everyone else, please start sending in your questions. As you can see, there are platforms in the continent that can help you publish in open access journals or the, or go through the whole up academic publishing process through the either the, the archives or also through the the open uh, uh, the AAS open research platform. So basically, what we're trying to say is that there there are platforms that can help you as early career researchers or even mature researchers in making your work visible through open access. So. What are your questions? Share with us what you have in mind so that we are able to help you. So there was one question for Africa Archive. I believe Osman has already, uh, it has already been answered, but then there was another one, which was what are the factors? I believe this is for Africa Archives. What are the factors to consider when selecting and also um, AAS publishing? What are the factors to consider when selecting the type of license when registering the supplementary materials? Are you looking at questionnaires? You, how do you do this? Do you do this through ORCID ID? So, Osman, you can answer that, and also Elizabeth, you can answer that. I'm sorry, your voice was breaking up. Would you repeat the question again? So, the, the question is, uh, what are the factors to consider when selecting the type of license when, when registering supplementary materials, like questionnaires through ORCID? Do you do this through ORCID? So, basically, they want to know if by the time they are putting in that supplementary information, on Africa Archive or even AAS platform. So we'll also ask uh, Elizabeth to share that. What is it that is required? Okay. Um, so we don't have any specific requirements, basically. Um, Africa Archive is not like a traditional publishing, like AAS. Uh, so what we do is that we usually ask people to choose their own license especially when it comes to for commercial, non-commercial and other things. But many of our submitted detail, uh, many of our submitted materials are preprints and postprints that are freely available on CC BY. Okay, Elizabeth, do you, have, do you have an answer to that question as well? Uh, yes, I would just say that by publishing on AS Open Research, you're agreeing to the CC by license. So it's a default in our case. Uh, okay. If there, if there, uh, there are exceptions, for example, uh, for uh, clinically protected information or rare species information that you want to uh, not allow to be made public but those are handled on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. Uh, Matt, this is for you. Uh, I think this is in regards to the fact that you work in an open access publishing house. So the question is, but why do some researchers opt not to publish in open access journals? Why would they not choose your journals? And I'm sure you've, you've noted that. I'm sure, I think, um, one of the issues can be, um, Early on, there were some misconceptions about open access, what it meant. Um, I think people got them confused with things like preprint service to begin with. So there was the idea that we didn't do um, uh, we didn't do peer review. So there's been a lot of myths around open access publishing for a long time um, that we've had to um, dispel. Um, uh, it can also take a, a long time to get journals um, established and respected, so that. Um, 
um, new journals, for example, won't um, immediately be indexed in places like Web of Science and in Scopus. So it takes a lot of um, work to um, get a journal established with a respected editorial board, get authors um, submitting and, and, and trusting you as a brand. So it can take a long time for um, for that to happen. So, that, I mean, this is where a lot of the costs come from is um, that um, any publisher has to do has that what wants to be um, established has to do um, things like marketing and um, um, and uh, marketing and promotion and also a lot of things like um, looking at getting getting indexed in in places like Scopus which take you know takes work to do um, um, uh, I think also then clearly um, cost can be a barrier this is something that has been discussed widely in the open access world so so um, most well-established open access publishers have waiver um, platforms. Um, um, it's certainly the case that um, all of the publishers that I've worked at so that um, if people genuinely can't pay them, um, there can be help with that. Um, but I think um, as well, there's, there's some fields that are more, are more skeptical about this. Um, in the humanities in particular, there was a reaction against the Plan S that you mentioned in the beginning, where it felt that it was in some way an imposition on academic freedom. Now, we, we don't believe that that's true. It's, it's already the case that, um, that uh, there's that, um, some, um, uh, that some um, funding bodies will requirement require publication in particular journals whether or not they're open access and we don't think the idea that you have to ensure that you either publish open access or make sure that a version is open access is an imposition of academic freedom but you get some of these um, more philosophical debates happening um, um, yeah and in in some cases it's simply just uh, prejudice that pre uh, publishers uh, certain researchers are so used to some of the established um, uh, publishers that they feel that those those are the only legitimate ones and that new newer publishers really don't um, uh, don't have any respectability but I think um, bit, you know B BMC and PLOS and um, Hindawi and other open access publishers have helped um, you know fight against that perception. I would if I could Joy I would also add and this is wearing my uh, hat as former CEO of PLOS that some people uh, publish according to the impact factor of the journal that they're submitting to, independent of whether or not they're open access. Uh, we think this is misguided because we don't think that uh, the impact factor is a valid measure of uh, your research, but there's no correlation between uh, whether a journal is open access and its impact factor. Those are independent variables. Uh, and so some people are just looking at the impact factor. That is true. You've actually answered a question that was on live on Facebook about citations and the fact that people choose to publish in paywall journals, knowing very well that it's not going to be accessible. So thanks for clarifying that. And uh, also, uh, Matt, this is for you about what needs to be done to increase visibility on the, the importance of open access journals, because this particular researcher is from Cameroon, and he says that his university uh, does not encourage its, its researchers to publish in Hindawi journals because they are open access. So what would you do to increase the, in, in increasing the awareness on the importance of publishing in open access journals? 
Okay. Um, I mean, we we do we work very closely with the Open Access Scholarly Publishers Association. So this is a a, a group which um, comes up with best practices and um, uh, ag agrees on. Um, uh, how uh, open access publishers should be should be run, and so OASPA does uh, a lot of work in um, in lobbying and promotion of of, um, of reputable open access um, platforms. Um, there's also um, uh, the, so the I, uh, you mentioned that I was an author aid mentor in the beginning. So um, INASP are based in Oxford in the UK are um, the organisation that run author aid, and they also um, um, work with African journals online and so they've done a lot of work in explaining how um, uh, open access um, um, smaller open access journals which are um, African African founded can can also be legitimate and that people should um, publish in them so INASP have done also done a lot of work on um, so presenting um, to to researchers in Africa and elsewhere about um, the the value of um, open access and um, getting your research accessible um yeah i think um i mean if um I, i'd say to to get in touch with me directly and then i'd be able to pass it on to one of my colleagues of how we can um, speak to the um, people at institutions because we know there is a lot of um inertia involved in in it that there's um sometimes um sus uh, unfounded suspicion of open access publishers so sometimes it is about dispelling myths um, raising awareness of the fact that um, you know so that we do have um, waiver waiver policies so that um, it so that the the costs of publishing are uh, either not borne by the individual researcher or can be um, can be waived entirely okay thanks thank you Matt there's a question for you um, Osman and that is what is the potential negative consequence of preprints as it potentially distributes and reviewed articles to the public. So kindly take us through that. Um, so preprint repositories started to implement peer review processes as well. So there is a basic screening. Once you submit your work as a preprint, we have a basic screening. It's, it's for quality control. It's not like that harsh as the ones you have in, in journals. But now preprint repositories have started to adopt uh, peer review as well. Okay. Um, Matt, there was a question from the University of Liberia, um, and they wanted to know how, what would it take for their library to have access to Hindawi publishers and its journals? Um, so for the University of Liberia, to, I mean, to have access um, I think the the question might need be to be clarified because all of the content is freely available online, Good. and um, you can even download the entire corpus um, um, in XML format to have a, a local mirror in case there's um, in case there's um, bandwidth issues. So all of the content is is completely available freely online um, to to read and download. Um, so um, as as for how they might be able to um, I, I think um, so. If it's for supporting um, for supporting authors, then I suggest to get in touch, and I can get our um, I can get our uh, somebody from our commercial team to contact them. Super. So basically, I think they needed access to easier access to the Hindawi uh, portfolio of journals, even though they are open access. So that's good to know. Um, 
Elizabeth and Matt, these are questions for you. Both of you could answer this. So the question is on APCs. And they, they want this researcher is from Nigeria and he would like to know um, is there a category? Do you categorize low income to high income countries even when you're providing a even when you're charging APCs for, for them to publish in any in your platform and also in uh, in your journals? So well, I'll speak for AS Open Research. Um, authors don't have to deal with APCs in the Good. case of AS Open Research. Good. Good. It's not that they're not being paid, but they're being paid directly by the funding source already being received by the author. Um, so we essentially take from their research grant the APC. So a big advantage of publishing on AS Open Research is that the author doesn't have to deal with any of the requesting a waiver or getting reimbursed or anything like that. And we're completely blind to what country uh, the author comes from as long as they have an affiliation direct or indirect with the AAS. Okay, what about you, Matt? Um, so um, as was listed on this, this slide, then we have a defined list of um, uh, lower income countries that get automatic um, full waivers um, and that's based on I think World Bank criteria of um, um, issues like the the average income and um, it's also based on the like the size of the research funding in those countries um, so I'm not involved in in setting that but um, if if anybody has any questions about that then I can pass it on to the onto the commercial team um, um, there's also the the fifty percent waiver, which is handled by the um, by the finance team, and uh, uh, again, I'm not involved in those discussions, so I'm not privy on um, exactly how that how that uh, operates. But um, if anybody um, uh, believes that they they need a waiver, then they can contact um, that, and this will apply for um, most open access publishers. Is that they will have um, discretionary waivers um, depending on people's situation. Okay, so. I think that's it. Uh, I hope we've been very helpful. Uh, at least you know there are support systems in the continent to help you, okay? So feel free to get in touch with us and we'll be able to help you uh, work with the Africa Archive or uh, AS uh, Open Research and also with, uh, with us as well and also with Hindawi Publishers. Without, every, without, uh, without colleagues, thank you so much for your time. And I do have a lovely day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Mazam Gunzo Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on all our channels for more updates and for candid stories by researchers, policymakers, higher education leaders, and innovators on their journeys. See you in our next episode.